Welcome back to One Visit Away with your host, Kevin Fitzpatrick. This show focuses on true stories of philanthropy in order to understand what it takes to succeed in major gift fundraising. Listen to these stories and you'll realize you're just one visit away from a transformational experience for your benefactors and your organization. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the One Visit Away podcast. I am super excited to bring to you uh, a conversation with Teresa Huff, who is a consultant and um, grant writer. And the reason I brought her on the podcast uh, partially is to talk about grants and share some stories from that world. But also, I just really like uh, her approach to what she does in terms of grant writing. Her, uh, her you know, kind of catchphrase is grant writing simplified, and I love just the singular focus of what she does. Um, a lot of times, one of the reasons we uh, fail in major gifts or in many areas of life is we try to do way too many things at the same time. And I, get, I think getting focused and narrow on one particular thing is something that uh, gets lost a lot of the time. And, you know, I see it a lot. Um, there's like fundraising consultants and apparently they do every type of fundraising that could ever exist. And if you've noticed, I'm major gifts. That's the only thing I talk about. I don't delve into anything else. Um, and that's what I focus on. And Teresa is, is all about grants. And um, I think success in a lot of things is being able to narrow down and get really good at one particular thing. And so, yeah, that's part of the reason I wanted to bring her on. I like her approach in her consulting business, and she's just got some great stories to share with us today um, from in an area that we haven't talked a great deal about on One Visit Away. And uh, I love a lot of these stories, and there's a lot of lessons in these stories that apply directly to major gifts. And I hope you enjoy this great conversation with Teresa Huff. Well, welcome to the One Visit Away podcast, Teresa. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Kevin. I am excited to chat with you today. Yeah, so you are, well, yeah, without me giving your intro, uh, tell everybody just a little bit about yourself and what you do. Sure. I'm a nonprofit grant strategist, and I work with nonprofits on their grant strategy and readiness to help them be more successful with grants long term. Some people just kind of fire off grants thinking, okay, sooner or later, something will stick. But we work on a much more strategic approach to help them prepare and go about it in a way that's going to help them bring in more sustainable long term funding. And then I also teach grant writing to grant writers wanting to get into the field or to coach nonprofits wanting to support their grant writers in being more successful with grants. Yeah, that's awesome. And one of the things I love about what you're doing is the focus. Um, you've got, you know, your, your podcast is grant writing simplified and um, everything is just about grants. And I, I love that because similar, you know, I feel like our businesses are very similar in that we're very focused on one particular thing, me on major gifts, you on grants. And uh, it's something I've realized I think is a, an issue in many fundraising, uh, 
you know, consultancies or businesses is there's just a really, we do fundraising and that's, that can mean, I mean, literally 700 different things. (laughs) And so it, it makes it difficult, I think, for the professional to kind of identify how they can exactly help. And it also makes it difficult for the nonprofit to know, you know, where is the value in this? Because if it's, if it's just, I can help in every single way, it's tough to know, okay, well, how are we going to see this move forward? So I just love that you're, you know, direct, simple, focused approach like that. And uh, reminds me very much of what I'm trying to do here in in terms of major gifts. I agree. And I thought the same thing about yours. That's what drew me Mm -hmm. to your podcast and following you on LinkedIn, because it is so specific. And when I was first starting out of, well, how should I help nonprofits? Which direction? After grant writing for several years, it I, you know, over time realized that I need to focus on what I know and I need to mm-hmm. stick with what I know and not try to also become a semi-expert in major gifts and fundraising and all the pieces. Yeah. Like, I know grants, I've done grants, I've helped with the ins and outs of grants. So that's what I need to stick with and teach. And then the thing about doing that though is like when I hear of a nonprofit needing help with major gifts, I know exactly (laughs) who I'm going to turn him to. I'm going to say, Hey, you need to talk to Kevin. He's your guy. And so I think it does help us be experts in that one space to get really good and go deep in that area. And then people know exactly how to refer us. Yeah, for sure. And the same principle applies really to like any type of business and any type of nonprofit. You know, I was just, I was just meeting with a client right before this. And I can't remember, I'm going to try to find it and I might link it in the show notes, but there was a podcast I listened to probably seven years ago. Uh, I think it was on the art of manliness and I'm pretty sure it was Cal Newport who was the guest who wrote the book. So good. They can't ignore you deep work and a few other great ones, but he, you know, he's, he's a professor and he studies businesses and everything about work and all this stuff. And the thing he was describing was that really successful companies do only one thing. And he was saying how, uh, you know, basically like diverting your focus to a lot of different things makes you bad at all of them. And he's, you know, worked with some enormous companies and maybe it wasn't Cal Newport. I might be totally making this up now. (laughs) It sounds like something he would say. (laughs) It sounds like something he would say, but whoever it was had like worked with a few of these really large businesses, like including Google. And he was saying, you know, people will try to prove me wrong and say, Oh no, there's businesses that do a lot of different things. Like take Google for instance. And he was like, well, I've actually worked with them and Google only does one thing. They do search. They do search on their traditional Google platform and then they own YouTube. I mean, yeah, YouTube, which is search for video. And those two things, you know, account for something like 90% or more of all of the revenue, um, you know, including like those paid ads on, on search. But uh, other than that, things like, you know, the Google phone, uh, I think, I think he said that has been a loss for the organization, at least in certain years. Um, Google glasses was supposed mm-hmm. to be this big thing, which was a total fail. There was like a Google driverless car, total fail. And his point was, they're so gigantic 
that they can afford to lose billions of dollars on a little project here and there. The average person in the average company and the average nonprofit can't. And so you've got to, you've got to focus on one thing and get really good at it. And then you can start to think about adding more things. But if you're just like today, you know, in the next six weeks, we're going to do major gifts. We're going to do grants. We're going to do events and we're going to do uh, raffles. Like <laughs> it's going to be a disaster. Right. And let's put it all on our small team to pull that off. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yes. You know, that's interesting you bring that up because I've been talking about that the last several weeks on my podcast of the importance of clarity and the importance of really getting clear on your core mission and your core values. Because if you're not clear, you can't convey what you're doing to others. And if they don't understand it, they're not going to support it. So it starts with that internal clarity that we can then communicate more effectively. I interviewed Jordan Rayner last week on the podcast, and that was such a good episode because he talks about the same thing of it's important to do our work with excellence and to really know what that work is and to key in on that and to do it well. And that's how we can stand out with all the noise and the crowded industry, the crowded nonprofits looking for donations and how we can really show that we are serious about this mission and we can, we have the capacity to carry it out. Yeah, for sure. So there's a lot of stuff we could talk about with grants um, just, you know, in particular, but if you want to start, you know, one visit away, we, we hear stories of visits people have been on in, you know, the context of major gifts. I'm sure you've got some stories of grants. Uh, oh my. Yeah. Could you, yeah, I'm, I'm sure you've got some prepared. If you could just take it away, I'd love to hear. Oh some. my. Let's see. You want the good, the bad, the ugly, all of the above. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, I mean, yes. yeah, I, I'd love to hear with just like one of your favorite stories, like mm -hmm. whatever that means to you. Yeah. Well, there's one that's really unique because it was so unexpected. And I mean, it wasn't the biggest grant I wrote. It wasn't like a half a million dollar grant, but it was so odd <laughs> and so memorable that I kind of like that story. I yeah. was writing grants for a food pantry and it was the mm -hmm. only food pantry in the county. So it really impacted quite a few people there and quite a few families. And I had asked the director, what kind of things do you need right now? What's your biggest, most urgent need? And she said, it's always food. We always need more funding for food. So there was a grant coming up that I thought looked like a good match. But one thing I really like to do is to call the funder ahead of time, the grant maker, and just, you know, kind of make a point of contact with them. Say, how do you, you know, introduce ourselves, explain kind of what we're thinking, our mission. And then I like to say, here's what we are thinking. Do you mind if I run a couple of ideas by you and see if you feel like it might be a good fit? And usually the person in charge of kind of overseeing the program and administrating the process is there because they want to help. They're happy to talk with you. They're happy to talk through ideas and support you because they're going to get better quality applications and it just makes the whole process better. They're there to help. And so almost every single time they're always, yeah, sure. I'd be happy to chat. So this time I had called and said, here's what we were thinking. What do you think if we were to ask for food for the food pantry? And she said, you know, I can't say for sure, but the committee has really 
decided not to fund food pantries specifically, like when they ask for food, because we get so many of those. And there's just too many. They can't fund any of them. And they all start to sound alike. She said, we're really looking for things more that help your capacity or your efficiency within your organization, as opposed to just something consumable that's in and out. And so I said, okay, that's good to know. And I'll take that back and see, and we'll talk about it. And so I went back to the director and said, okay, here's the deal. (laughs) And what else do you need besides food? Let's think creatively, think bigger. She said, you know, I've always wished we could have a forklift, but that's just not in the budget. But these big semis bring truckloads of food. They're on these huge pallets. Our volunteers, a lot of them are senior adults. They have to come out and unload the pallets one box at a time into the warehouse and then take one box at a time out to the food line. (laughs) It takes hours to unload the delivery truck once or twice a week. So we're talking a lot of manpower, a lot of time, a lot of logistics and congestion. She said, if we had a forklift, they could pop that pallet, send it to the warehouse, done. (laughs) When they need it out front on the line, they can pick it up, move it out there, done. (laughs) So I said, okay, here we go. So I wrote about it, told the story of how much more efficient that would make the operations, really hit in on those points that the grant maker had suggested that they were looking for and tried to really listen to their advice. And they awarded, there were probably a hundred applicants and they awarded, I think 17 and we got it. Wow. And they got a forklift. Dang, that is <laughs> so, awesome. <laughs> I mean, it's the most random thing. I never would have thought I'd write a grant for a forklift, but yeah. you know, we found it. And they were able to negotiate good pricing for a used one from a local vendor, which also helped build community support and rapport with other businesses around. So it was just a really fun win to be able to get the forklift for them. And it made them stand out from a whole sea of food pantries applying for the grant. Yeah, that's incredible. Um, yeah, that's an amazing story. And there's there's a few things I'll uh, point out that just, you know, bring this back to major gifts and it, it being, you know, similar in, in quite a few ways. is like, one, you, you kind of mentioned this at the beginning, one of the reasons people fail at grants is it's just like, we're just going to send out a bunch of grants randomly. And it's like, same thing with why people fail at major gifts is it's just like, you just send out a bunch of unpersonalized, you know, we'll just send emails or letters to a million people and we'll randomly ask for money. And it's like, no, the first thing you started with when you got on this project was calling up the funder. Boom. So it's like, personal relationship is key getting on the phone with them Two, you asked questions like what do y'all typically look for you know is is this the type of thing that would be exciting and it's same thing in major gifts is like you've got to ask questions and one of the things i've noticed within my own behavior and in with people i've worked with is a lot of times we don't a lot of times we feel like, hey, we need food and that's what we know we need. And so we're just going to go, we're not even going to ask if they're excited about that. We're just going to present it because that's what we need. And then we're just going to see what they say. 
And then they're going to say no, because no one was ever interested in the first place. But for whatever reason, we would rather do that than just ask on the front end, hey, like, is this something you'd be excited about? And it's, it's just funny how, like, you can just find that out beforehand. But there, I don't know. I don't know if there's something about we feel more vulnerable in asking beforehand or we think like, oh, we're just going to it's going to be so good when we write that grant. They're just going to have to do it. But you can just avoid that whole process like like in this mm-hmm. situation. I think it's a combination of those things you said, or sometimes we don't know what to say. Do they even want to be bothered? Do they want to talk yeah. to us? But I try to remember, and I remind my grant writing students, there's a person on the other side of everything you write. There's always a person, whether it's an email, a grant, in your case, if you're making a call to a potential donor, it's always a person. And so I tell them to write for the person. You're not writing for a machine or an ATM. You're writing for the person. Yeah. That is awesome. I love that story. And I I love the, yeah, like it's just cool to know that from the foundation's perspective, that forklift's out there doing that, you know, doing its thing twice a week. And, uh, you know, that, that food would be in and out and gone, but this is, this is there, you know, have an impact for years to come. Right. And that's a cool way to look at it because they need funds for both. They need funds for the food, for the immediate needs, but they also need that capacity building and they need something that's going to last for years. And so it takes a balance. And it's really cool from my perspective, just playing a small part, knowing that that was years ago, but it's probably still there being used. And I helped be a part of that. And it was really cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's wonderful. Well, let's move on to, uh, yeah, what's another story that comes let's to see, mind? What I else love these. I <laughs> yeah. Well, there was one that was a little different perspective. It was a very small rural K-8 school district. So not a lot of kids, not even big enough to have a high school, tiny, no large town nearby. And so then for high school, they would go to a different, bigger school district, but Somehow I had gotten introduced to them and started writing grants with them. And there was a corporate grant available. I believe it was through Lowe's. And it was when you get to that big of a corporate grant, usually there's not a point of contact or there may not be a person that you could call and communicate with. It may just be more of like technical support if the form's not working or something. So I didn't have that luxury this time. And so that meant it was a little more challenging, but I could look back at past awards and see kind of what types of projects they had funded. And so this is where it ties to having a really good story, because when I was talking with the principal and saying, okay, what kind of things do you need? She said, well, one thing we really need is we just put on a new addition to the school, like a whole new hallway of classrooms. And the funding was kind of running short and we weren't able to install a bell system yet in that part of the school. And so that meant if there was a fire alarm or a tornado drill or something like that, either they had to call each classroom on the phone one by one, hoping they hear the phone, hoping they answer to say, there's a fire, you need to get out. 
Or they had to literally run down the halls yelling, fire, fire, or tornado, (laughs) and trying to get everyone's attention, hoping everyone hears it, (laughs) being able to go to safety in those cases, whether it was a drill or a real situation. (laughs) I mean, that's not ideal for a school. (laughs) So I did write that grant up. I explained that. And I tried to do it in a way that showed like, this is a responsible school. They're trying to do right by their students. It's not like they're just leaving them unsafe, but they also, you know, are concerned about this piece and would really like to get it in place for their safety. And so we got that grant. It wasn't huge. It was just a few thousand dollars, but they were able to install the bell system and get that up and running. So the kids could have their fire and tornado alarms. (laughs) besides their normal system. So that was something kind of quirky, but it was also a good way to weave in the story and to help them picture people having to run through the hallways yelling, fire, fire. Yeah. 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 (laughs) That's, yeah, that's exactly it. Sometimes those, those visuals are the, uh, the thing that stick with you, you know, it's, it's not the, uh, well, let me show you the, uh, the code for, uh, what's required of a, a school building or whatever. It's like, no, 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 let me, let me paint you a picture of what's going exactly. on. Exactly. Yeah. If we had shown them the architect drawings and said, you know, we could install it here and here, but instead say, can you imagine kids in their classroom? Yeah. Maybe they're doing a science experiment. So it's kind of loud. People are having to run down the halls. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy. And, yeah. Just not ideal. Yeah, for sure. So Man, yeah, I love that. What's uh. Oh, okay. Here's an interesting one. What's the, do you recall the first grant you ever wrote that was, that was funded? Do you remember what that was like? The very first. Well, the first, first grant I was working with my mentor. She had a team of writers. And so I was a part of that and we won a very large grant. It was close to a million dollars And so that was a pretty big scale. Mm. And, but I remember one of the first ones that I wrote on my own and that was a, I believe the, one of the first was for school libraries to improve Mm. their literacy, small rural school district, bigger than the one I shared before, but still it made such a big impact. It was a lot of money for that little school and it was a really big deal to get that one. That was a huge win because they were able to do so much again, that would last for years, some technology upgrades, some books, all kinds of materials and smart boards and things that they could not have afforded otherwise. And to get these students, a lot of whom lived in poverty and to really provide some high quality materials for them just made such a big difference. And that was a really cool thing. And at the time, my kids were little bitty. So it was like, I was able to do this with my kids at home and, you know, squeeze it in during nap times and early and late at night. Not ideal, but it worked for that season. And it was just such Mm. a cool feeling to be able to be. Yeah. And so I'm curious, this particular, uh, this particular foundation that gave this grant, were they, how did you identify them? Were they someone who like previously given to the school or was it just like you, you found them in the community? That one was actually a federal grant. 
And okay. so it was a much bigger, much more competitive process. And the problem but you with those, somehow like, but was there any previous giving from that federal no, grant? Okay. No, not, it was one of those that just kind of runs every year and it's huh. not available anymore. And so we had identified it and there was a very short window of probably three or four weeks to crank out the federal applications. It was tight and it was like, boom, got to really get our act together and get our ducks in a row. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, it was not one, but we did try to leverage previous grants and administrative expertise to say we have the capacity to oversee this Mm -hmm. to manage this we have some experience in these areas to show that we would have the capability to handle it yeah yeah that's great yeah and it you know i'd never thought of that before what you just mentioned about like being at home with with young kids is yeah that is something that's very different between grants and major gifts is like it is much more difficult to do major gifts um when you're you know in between naps than it is to uh to work on a grant so yeah you can't just run visit for coffee while your kids are sleeping (laughs) right yeah exactly (laughs) yeah i'll be back in a in a couple hours yeah you don't mind if i bring my toddlers they'll just climb on you (laughs) right no it's funny it's funny you say that though, because I think in both, so, you know, where there's a will, there's a way, there's like always a way to get stuff done. And I have, uh, like several people that I know or clients of mine do have young children or babies or, uh, like in my instance, I've been on visits where the donor has their like, you know, two year old there. Or like we're just at a restaurant and little Johnny's uh, eating his his puffs at the high chair or whatever. So, so that is something is like, you know, just understanding that you don't have to have this perfectly professional. Uh, my child goes to a forty thousand dollar a year daycare while I, uh, you know, go <laughs> go do my my job. Like you can, pe- it's okay for people to see your humanity in in what you're doing. And and that's cool too. Yeah. I used to write for a nonprofit daycare and there were a few times where like, if I'd need to go meet with the director or the board or something, they'd say, Oh, just bring your daughter. She can play with the kids while we're meeting. And you know, they didn't mind. It was fine. Let her go play. And yeah. So I think just being real and being human about it, goes a long way too. And in your case, you could relate to the person that had right. their yeah, yeah. little kid there. And exactly. I mean, since you have kids, you get it. You know what it's like. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, what's the here's one for you that maybe you haven't thought about. <laughs> what's like the worst grant experience you've ever had? Like either, you know, could be anything. A total fail on your end. Or just things did not work out? Um. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That's a good question. (laughs) And I don't want to paint this rosy picture that it's all been easy and fun and games because I could answer plenty of different directions with that one. There are a couple that come to mind right off the bat. One is the library grant I mentioned earlier was a federal grant. And so I was in the process of writing it a different, a couple of years later for a different school district. And it 
was going really well. We had applied the previous year and scored so close to the cutoff. We didn't quite get it, but we knew like with just a few tweaks using their feedback, we can knock this out of the park. So we felt really good about reapplying, revising. It was going to be a great opportunity. I was in contact with the federal person kind of running the program and talking with them. And there had been a presidential administration change that year. And so I had contacted them a few times, like, are we still on? Are you still running the program? They said, yes, they've told us to proceed as usual. We're still going ahead with it. Go ahead and submit your applications. And so the intensity of the application process for federal grants, we got it all. We submitted it in time by the deadline. Great application. Well, then mid-review process, they pulled the plug on the entire program. No more funding. (laughs) Half a million dollars down the drain for that school district. Like it was gone, like just completely cut from the radar altogether and shifted the program, shifted the funding in different directions. And so sometimes that, yeah, it was like, all that work. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And the, of course the school, like the administrator we were working with was just sick. She was like, Oh, I know we could have had that. And I did too. It was so, it was a solid application, but oh yeah, that was frustrating. Yeah, so much work. It was, yeah. I mean, if there's anything you learn in this business, you have to develop a thick skin and you can't take it too personally. And boy, yeah, you learn to get back up on your feet. You might be a little scraped up and bruised, but you just keep going, (laughs) dust off and catch your breath and go again. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Man, well, uh, yeah, that that one is tough, and I'm trying oh, it to, was. you know, one of the things I don't know exactly how this I would imagine it applies fairly similarly in the grant writing world, but one of the things I focus on in terms of major gifts is never never relying on one opportunity. So mm-hmm. it's like, you know, sometimes like the situation you described, you know, you're all in on this grant and you're going for it. If that is the only opportunity you have in the pipeline and there are, and you know, you need the money, uh, and there's nothing else that can possibly make it up, like them removing that, uh, you know, the, the grant no longer being available is the type of thing that can just send you into a deep depression that you never return from. But like, if you've got, eight other opportunities and this is just one of them it allows you to be like okay that really sucked but we're gonna be okay and so um yeah i guess how have you have you seen that type of thinking work in terms of grants and just being overly dependent upon one source you're hitting the nail on the head as to why i work so hard to help nonprofits understand the importance of their strategy and the strategic approach to grants. Because a lot of times people think, okay, all we need is to just get a few grants and we'll be in good shape. As opposed to you need a mix of Mm. major gifts, smaller 
consistent donors, grants, fundraising, all the pieces of the pie. And grants are only one small piece. And so that is something that I try to really help educate and help people overcome that thinking of just let's focus on grants as opposed to those other parts that you really need a good balance of all the things. And if you're not ready for grants, then you're really doing more harm than good because you're just, like we talked about before, firing off applications without presenting a good solid approach or a good solid reason for them to support you. And probably similar to what you do, you need to go into it more strategically and thoughtfully as opposed to just hoping somebody will give sooner or later. Right. For sure. Yeah. So I'm going to, there's several questions I might ask you about grants specifically, but before we dive into that, are there any, any last stories you'd like to share? There was one that was a good lesson for me Hmm. when I was very first starting out on my own as a consultant, because I mentioned I worked for the first couple of years under a mentor. And then when we moved away, I branched out on my own. That was before Skype and Zoom and Google and all the things were a big part of our lives. And so I just, I had branched out and someone had referred a nonprofit to me. They were brand new, didn't even have their 501c3 paperwork yet. And they, of course, you know, I wanted to please, I wanted to help them. I didn't know any different as a new consultant. And so I was trying to help them find grants and research. And I remembered them emailing me and saying, go as hard and fast on anything you can find. We just got our letter back. So Mm -hmm. let's go with grants. (laughs) And I was at the time it was starting to dawn on me, like, wait a second, they don't really have any programs in place. They don't have any other funding. I feel like we may not have very good luck with grants. And this might kind of be a waste of my time to start chasing these. But he had very much that just start firing off approach. And that was my first clue the hard way to realize, okay, wait a second, there might need to be some parameters here before I start working with clients on grant writing to help them with that approach. And so that was kind of a, a, an eye opener for me as a new naive consultant of trying to figure that out and navigate that to help nonprofits more effectively, even if it was not what they wanted to hear, it was Mm. what would help them be more successful. Right. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That's really good. Um, yeah. So I've got a few, a few questions for you just to maybe give some, give some people, you know, a a place to start if they want to dip their toes into grants. Yeah. I guess what's the, what's some of the, you know, you know, most common things you see that, uh, when writing a grant is, you know, likely to get approved, or I guess, you know, some of the most common things you can do to increase your chances and vice versa. Some of the things that are going to, you know, immediately make someone be like, oh my goodness, we will never fund this. (laughs) Oh, so many on both sides. Mm. Let's see. One of the common misconceptions that I hear is people think when they're filling out an application that we shouldn't tell them about our other funding, or we shouldn't mention Mm. our other grants because they'll think we don't need this money if we ask them. So Mm. we need to keep that a secret. 
But that's actually not true. Because if you think about like, say you have a business and you're looking for investors mm. and you say, hey, Kevin, can I borrow 20 bucks? And you're like, why? And I'm like, because yeah. I, just, I just need 20 bucks to go buy some stuff. Or yeah. if I say, hey, Kevin, I'm raising money for this fundraiser next month. I've already got five people who have committed $100. I've got a company that's donating $1,000. Will you give me 20 bucks? Which one are you going to be more likely to donate to? Yeah, the one that sure. said, would you give me 20 bucks? Or would you be a part of this bigger thing that's going to help this mm -hmm. mission that's going to make an impact on the community? You're going to be like, oh, that's cool. And I see that so-and-so's in there and this company is supporting it. Oh, that looks legit. Yeah. I want to be a part of that. So mm -hmm. you're helping build your credibility. And that's a big piece that people don't always understand is mm -hmm. that actually helps show that you know how to manage grants. You have experience with other funding and other funders have seen you as worthy of investing in. So maybe they want to be a part of that too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And okay, so it's interesting you bring that up because I'm pretty sure I've seen this before where, and you know, I have very little experience with grants, but I want to say years ago, I'd seen places on certain grant applications where they actually ask you to list other funders. Sometimes. It's, yeah, go into, and you know, I think from my perspective, I was like, well, we pretty much only have individuals so seems strange that we would list them here without you know like, like unless they were you know somehow publicly recognized as donors mm -hmm. but i guess is it like generally speaking when people ask for something like that are they looking for other foundations or yeah talk to me about why people do that it probably fits in a little bit with what you were saying and what is appropriate to to share in those kind of things? Right. That's a great question. I would say in that case, they probably are wanting to see, like, say, for example, I work with a nonprofit senior center that has a lunch program for senior adults and healthy meals. And so often we may need to request funding for some kitchen equipment. Recently, we asked for a dishwasher and a refrigerator. And so by showing that that's a part of this bigger program, we can show the bigger impact. And because we've gotten several grants in the past for the kitchen, or maybe it's an expensive refrigerator that we know this grant will only fund up to $1,000, but we need 5,000. So we can show we've applied for the Johnson grant for $1,000. This private donor has agreed to match up to $1,000 of donations. We've, you know, we're asking you, will you commit $2,000? So we're showing a specific project, the budget for that project and how we're collecting towards it. But then we're also showing how it's a part of the bigger lunch program and how it's making that bigger impact and tying it into that piece of community impact. So sometimes that can be it. And then sometimes they just want to see like overall, do you have a variety of support? And so in that case, to answer your original question, I don't necessarily put, well, I, d I wouldn't put individual donor information. I would put more like the line item. If there was a foundation, that would be fine. But then like maybe private donations, X amount, and just have that total as opposed to naming specific donors. Because there's kind of that balance of confidentiality and 
you know, protecting donor privacy versus showing that, yes, we do have some credible support. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's really helpful. Yeah. What's one of the uh, what's one of the biggest errors people make? One big thing is hoping that if there's a red flag or a potential problem with the program, the organization or something, just ignoring it and not addressing it in the application and hoping they won't notice that. But you can bet (laughs) that that's the one thing they're going to really zero in on. And they're going to say, I don't know, that could be an issue. That might be problematic. Eh, We're not so sure. We're not going to fund this. And, you know, you can't just sweep it under, under the rug and hope they don't notice. So by addressing the red flags in the application, that goes a long way toward building your credibility. Like say if your executive director of 10 years is retiring and you're going to have that shift in leadership, that could be a potential red flag. They may say, well, things are kind of unstable over there right now. We don't know what they're doing. What's their plan? Their director's retiring. They've been there a long time. So we don't really know how things are going to go. Let's wait and see. Maybe we'll fund next year. But instead, you could use that as an opportunity to say, our director's retiring. We've got a new interim director in training who's mentoring under the director. Our board member, this person has experience in this type of curriculum. We've got this staff member in place that's already helping with such and such. Like you can lay out the plan and then it's not a red flag. It's just, hey, we've got this transition and here's our plan for it to address it. So it's not a red flag anymore. Yeah, yeah, that's so key. And it's... It's funny how, yeah, exactly what you're saying. A lot of times we we want to kind of, you know, ignore it. And and I think part of the reason we want to ignore it is because we think, oh, man, what if they knew this about us? And my thing, what I remind people of is you think these other organizations have it all together. And it's like they don't. Like they're <laughs> like ev- whatever problem you have, they either have, you know, the competitor or whatever you want to call them they've got the same thing or some other weird thing or there's dysfunction just about everywhere so so like having someone know that there's some dysfunction or some slightly off thing is that's normal they're not going to be shocked that oh you had your you know your your ceo didn't work out or that you hired or whatever like that yeah that that happens all the time. Right. Um, so a lot of times we're way more worried about what the thing is than, than they actually are. So if you just address it, like you're saying, it's, it's not a big deal. Right. They For know, the yeah, they know nonprofits aren't perfect and that they need help. And really, if you can shift that, it can become an opportunity to invite them to become a part of the solution. Yeah. Like, yeah, we've had some turnover. It's hard. Here's what we're working on. Mm. Do you want to be a part of helping us make that better and help us overcome these challenges? And then you're, you're showing transparency and showing that you're just being straightforward of, Hey, here's what we're dealing with. Can you help us? And can you be a part of it? We've got some good things going on at the same time. So let's make them even better with your support and you're shifting the narrative. Right. Yeah. And you know, it reminds me of, it reminds me of the forklift situation. (laughs) It's like, you know, part of me feels like, (laughs) you know, if 
maybe the organization wouldn't even want anyone to know we're unloading these trucks by hand because it looks like a it makes us look like a bunch of morons and like it's like and a lot of our senior adult volunteers are carrying these boxes of food right and it's like if we just shield that information from people who could potentially make a difference nothing good's ever going to happen but if you exactly what you said if you invite people into the problem they can be like oh my goodness all all you need is a forklift to fit yeah like we're in um and and so yeah just you know that's a great point and we should never feel like we have to hide what's going on from from the funders because it's like they're the ones that are gonna help you fix it Right, exactly. They know, and that's the whole point of the process, is to help you solve the problems. And sometimes it comes in the shape of a forklift. (laughs) You just never know. But the thing about that is knowing who to approach for which thing as well. Like if they had just gone to their regular donors and said, hey, would you help us buy a forklift? They might have been like, what? No, I want to help support food. But knowing in this case the donor was not looking to support the everyday needs. They were looking right. to support something at a different level, at a capacity building, more of that long-term where other donors are really compelled by people needing food. I want to help provide it. They wanted to do something in that direction. So understanding your donor, as I'm sure mm-hmm. you work with too, with your giving and helping understand what really lights that donor up and how can yeah. they plug in in a way that is rewarding for them and they can see the impact that they want to make. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, this is all awesome. We're uh, coming up on on time here. Um, yeah, is there anything? You've got quite a few things I think people you could point people to. Yeah, let people know where they can go to find out more about you or any resources you have for them. Sure. Well, of course, as you mentioned, I have the Grant Writing Simplified podcast on any player. And I have a quiz if someone's thinking about grant writing and wondering, could I be good at it? I have it's do you have what it takes to be a grant writer at TeresaHuff.com slash quiz. And then I also have a nonprofit audit of how grant ready is your nonprofit that you can go through. And that's TeresaHuff.com slash grant ready. And then those will kind of help you think through some of the big questions and what you might need to understand before taking the next step. And then, of course, I have different courses and online programs. The Fast Track to Grant Writer is a mentoring coaching program similar to yours for Major Gifts, just on the grant writing track. So it's a lot of fun and helps people understand where to start and how to use their skills and how they translate to grant writing. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show, Teresa. This was a lot of fun for the first time hearing uh, stories about grants on the podcast. So that was pretty cool. And uh, yeah, look forward to talking soon. Thank you for having me. It's been great to talk to you. That was Teresa Huff. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode of the One Visit Away podcast. Uh, Just Last week, uh, we had an incredible webinar. Um, If you missed it, um, send me a message on LinkedIn. I'll send you the link to the recording. Um, But it was phenomenal. It's got me uh, excited to do more webinars. So I'm planning planning on doing another one. Uh, You can put it on your calendar uh, September 1st at noon Eastern time. I don't have the registration up yet, but I do know the topic. And I will save that for when I 
get the registration page set up. But thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, go leave a rating and review in Apple Podcasts. And as always, go check out my course, Major Gift Millions. Um, you can go to onevisitaway.com slash millions to find out more. But um, the course has been continuing to sell. It's really cool to see everybody enrolling in it and getting uh, success stories. I think I, you know, I shared this on the webinar, but one of my students closed a $100,000 gift just about a week or two after enrolling in the course. So it's really cool to see that stuff come about. And uh, go check it out, um, onevisitaway.com slash millions. Uh, enroll in the course. Uh, you've got 30 days to go through the whole thing. And if for whatever reason you want your money back, just ask within 30 days and it's yours. So go check it out. I hope you enroll. And thanks so much for listening to uh, this episode. I hope it's inspired you to schedule more visits. After all, you're just one visit away from growing your mission and your impact. <laughs>